and welcome to another episode of Dear Future CRO, brought to you by Growth Q and Culture Crunch. I'm thrilled to be joined firstly with my esteemed co-host, founder and CEO of GrowthQ, Esther Iamu. And on behalf of Esther and I, we are so thrilled and humbled to be joined by the highly regarded Kelly O.K. Kelly is a co-founder of the Sales Officer Practice at Hydric and Struggles, who specializes in sales leadership roles within the tech space. Kelly, welcome. Karen, nice to meet you. Thank you, Esther. Good to see you both. Yes, yes, we are so excited for this conversation. As you know, we are focused on helping the future CROs get ready for that big role. And Kelly, you're it. You play you play some of the greatest um, and uh, biggest named CROs across the tech industry, across the sales industry. And so we are so excited for you to share your knowledge with our group. First question we've got to ask you is, how did you get here? You've done all the things, CMO, COO, uh, you co-founded the CRO practice. You've been, a, you've done so many incredible things. Can you share with us a bit about your journey? You're very kind. I'm going to have my wife listen to this to make sure she. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so my journey in, in the search profession, I've been here going on 20 years. I've run the global software practice for nearly 19 um, I carried a bag. I started my career much like many of the in the audience. Uh, I started my career right out of college in in sales with IBM, and that was when IBM actually was uh, uh, a company that they invested in sales training. So it was uh, it was very lucky to get started in that in that uh, company at that time. When I joined Hydric, it became really obvious that this was the the function for me because it's where I started my career. So. I, I have a, I resonate with this audience uh, that's listening because I am, I was what they are right now. And, and although I'm not a CRO uh, myself, I could never probably do that job. So I have a lot of respect for the people that do do that job. I do place many of them, as you said, uh, there's, there's uh, an enormous demand for this talent in this market right now. And is. Karen, you had said early on, and, and Esther, you said, my focus for the audience is really largely tech, which I understand this audience listening is going to be largely tech. But hopefully some of the things that we talk about will apply to everybody, whether you're in the tech sector or not. Um, for me, it was just literally because I started in that function, um, it, and I specialize now in it from a, it's like the coach, if you will, uh, the, someone who can't do can coach. I can coach, but I can't do. Well, you've done uh, quite a bit in this industry. Uh, you've been published in Forbes, Wall Street Journal, uh, CNBC. You've collaborated and co-authored articles with the Harvard Business Review. I mean, I could keep going. We could just keep going here. But, um, <laughs> but you know, um, over the two decades that you've been um, recruiting for this role, the role has evolved. The role has changed, which I would imagine as the coach and the, the person that has to find that talent, it's also changed for you. So maybe can you talk about how um, the role of the CRO has changed and then how that's evolved for you as uh, in your role? Yeah, it's dramatically evolved. It used to be, I mean, as we all know, the role of a sales leader was typically seen as somebody that probably largely seen as as male, probably largely seen as white, probably largely seen as um, 
somebody that took clients out to dinner and played golf and all of the things that come to mind for all of us when we think about that old sales leader. That was how deals got done. That's how transactions got done back in the day, whenever that was. And, and that clearly was the way it was when I started uh, 20 years ago doing this. It's just to fast forward to give you a, a comparison today. That just doesn't happen. It may it may happen selectively, but fortunately, we're at a place now where there are lots of diverse leaders. There's a, a huge amount in the in the funnel coming up, but it's really more about today managing in a modern way. And what a modern way is looking at at data. I mean, we're in a world of is data, and, and we're all talking about generative AI today and ChatGPT. I mean, it's just it's an amazing transformation of where it's come from and what it is today. So everybody has gotten much more specialized uh, depending on what sector you're in, what segment you're talking about within that sector, how you go to market, whether it's through channels or direct or call center or uh, freemium. It, there's so many different routes to market, so many different segments, uh, so many different geos, so many different products that the specialization has just become enormous. And you have to be today somebody that really understands uh, metrics, conversions, uh, and just the use of data. And that's really the big thing It's uh, that's changed probably the most dramatic. Sounds like, you know, just listening to you, Kelly, that obviously there have been changes within market trends as well as roles and responsibility pertaining to this space. Something that Esther and I discuss a lot is, is how, firstly, how sort of um, the CROs interface with the board, but also how that dynamic and that relationship has changed over recent years. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it used to be that go-to-market leaders, you, 20 years ago, you'd be hard-pressed to find a go-to-market leader on a board of directors. Uh, mm. So it, it just, it typically wasn't the functional leaders that were on a board of directors 20 years ago. It used to be just CEOs, uh, professional board members, maybe CFOs, but it was very rare to find CROs on, on boards today. What's happened again, just fast forward now to the world that we're in today. Not only do you find CROs on boards um, today, but you also find them in private equity firms as operating advisors, in venture capital firms as operating advisors. So this, again, the theme of specialization has just become um, uh, continued with more more career choices now for the best CROs where they go with their career after they're done with their operating career. Um, they can go into a board, they can go into a private equity or venture firm, but the relationship to your question, Kieran, between the CRO and the board, it, they may have been invited to board meetings in the past, say 20 years ago, to present a piece of a board agenda. Today, they're in the board meeting, the entire they're in, in the entire board meeting. Um, the the, the go-to-market function today is so critical with the headwinds that almost every company in the world, whether you're tech or non-tech has, which is the, the operating environment today is brutal out there. Uh, ask any sales leader, especially in the tech sector, and they'll tell you it is a street fight every day for winning deals, winning new clients, new logos, converting, renewing, et cetera. So the, the board is has a, uh, a fiduciary responsibility to understand it, but CEOs now are much more willing to get their CRO in the board meeting with them versus it used to be they would either speak for the CRO or invite them to a piece of the agenda and then leave. It's so interesting to see that evolution and how much that's changed. Um, 
I, I almost think uh, there's now, I would imagine now when preparing or recruiting uh, the CRO, there's new conversations being had with the CRO to prepare them for that, as well as to prepare uh, the board and, and team. Can you maybe share about what, what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, because now CROs are going to these board meetings much more often and they're not being... Um, uh, their, their, their narrative is not being used by the CEO to speak for them. Remember, CROs are on the boards themselves now. So there's a, there's a familiarity and a discussion that, they, that takes place at the board meeting where boards have become much more uh, in tune with all of the terms and all of the, the issues around go-to-market. Everybody has gotten educated because it's, it's an incredibly competitive landscape out there. It's a, uh, it's no longer a single market leader with two or three, you know, followers that are that are far away from a market share perspective. Almost any segment that you look at has lots of competitors, and it's very fragmented. And it is an incredibly dynamic environment right now. So, what I what I find is um, boards have uh, become much more aggressive and much more um, involved in the go to market decisions and discussion at the board meeting than a, uh, in the past where it may have been much more a steady state environment. Think about the world that we're in. Things are changing so rapidly, so, so often that you may have the best plan that you just as a board approved only to find out the, the, the banks just collapsed or whatever the latest new thing that just happened in the world just occurred. Like everybody is constantly reinventing themselves in the world because as, as we all know, not a single person on this planet has ever seen the world that we're in today. 20 years ago, it used to be fairly predictable. You, the earnings announcements were, came on a certain cycle and, and the markets operated a certain way and everybody could kind of predict the way things were gonna work out. Today, the volatility is just extreme. And so I think that's probably what's caused a lot of the boards and go-to-market leaders to be so engaged because it's just an uncertain, very uncertain environment. That leads really nicely on to the next question, Kelly. So talking about, I think the word you used was dynamic. It's an incredibly dynamic landscape at the moment and also you know, volatile for so many different reasons. With that in mind, what advice do you think, or, or, or no, not advice, what do you wish CROs knew that they know now that they didn't know 20 years ago what's that nugget of advice yeah you know it's what what every ceo is looking for in this environment and and it's it's whether you're 50 million dollar company or a 300 million dollar company or a 3 billion dollar company or a 20 billion it, it's almost agnostic of size of company everyone's looking mm. for predictable repeatable consistent results easy to say really hard to do because there, there's to what we just said, there's so much, uh, there's so much volatility with this market. It's the companies because the companies that can produce consistent, repeatable, scalable sort of results are going to get the best valuations because they're the ones investors can trust and rely on. The ones that that they're they're up and they're down and they meet guidance, they take guidance down, they raise, they're they're all over the board. It's just less predictable. And from an investor standpoint, there's just going to be less value placed on them. So, I think the you know, there's there's that element from a results and a performance standpoint. 
Um, the number one thing every CEO says to me, looking for a head of sales, whether it's the title is president. In today's, by the way, in, in today's world, at least in the tech sector, the title president is sometimes used to be CRO. It sometimes it used to have meaning, um, and today the meaning has been a little bit lost because there's there's lots of titles that never occurred 20 years ago that all sort of mean the same thing. Depending on which company you're talking about, you could be a chief growth officer, chief customer officer, chief commercial officer, but they're all kind of the same. But from a style standpoint, Kieran, the number one thing that everyone looks for is self-awareness, authenticity, no ego. I mean, those the style of how you get the results we just talked about matter. So 20 years yeah. ago, again, you could you could imagine somebody that made their numbers or made their quota or made the 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 uh, the quota that they were given, but nobody wanted to work with them, and that just doesn't exist anymore. How you get those results in today's world matters a lot. Are you retaining, hiring, training, promoting diverse talent? Are you are you in lifting everybody up? Are teams do they want to work for you? Will they follow you? That style and that culture of how you get the results is is really what is um, kind of defines a modern leader that, because if, if you're managing with a, a stick nobody's going to follow you it's really the carrot that everybody wants yeah 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 um you you shared something that stood out really really well to me there's almost two sides um, of what a CRO has to look for. There is predictability, focus on the data, make sure you're communicating the data, but there's also the soft skills of, you know, the relationship, the, you know, being self-aware, having no ego, being vulnerable enough to know your strengths versus your weaknesses, um, and being open. I'd love to get your perspective about that because that affects <clears throat> um, key relationships across you know, within your organization, with your peers, with the board, with CEO, for folks in this role. Can you talk about the most critical relationships and stakeholders that's important to continue to build over time? If you think of the, you know, VP that's listening to this or sales director that's listening to this who has that aspiration, if they want to stay within their company, for example, they've got to build that today. So can you talk about what relationships are really critical for that sales leader? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, you're a super successful operating exec, Dester. You've seen it firsthand. You've lived it yourself. It's um, I, I would argue that it's every relationship. And I don't know if I could put one is more important than the other. What I will tell you and what I share, I have six kids. I think, Esther, you and I have chatted about it. Four of them are AEs and tech companies. So I've given them the same advice. Um, I was just back in, in uh, working with some of our up-and-coming consultants and partners uh, a few weeks ago and sharing this advice. The number one thing I would say to anybody listening to this podcast about their development journey, I'll call it the development journey, and this is around self-awareness, authenticity, et cetera, is demand feedback from people that you work with. And I say that because there's a difference between being open to feedback and demanding feedback. If you demand feedback, um, you're it's not gonna be heard as criticism or I'm putting you down, or I'm being tough on you, it's going to be heard as development because you want to get better. And that is honestly the number one thing I've seen with um, all of the leaders that I have come in contact with, whether it's at Hydric or internally, um, it's getting that feedback internally of what could I have done better? 
no matter what level, whether you're an entry level, you're a first line manager, second line manager, first VP, even a CRO. I mean, demand feedback. It's nobody has all the answers. Work work very um, seamlessly across an organization. I mean, sales leaders, in my opinion, the best sales leaders in again, I'm speaking more on the tech side, but this applies to outside of tech. Get to know the engineering people, get to know the product people, get to know your peers across the organization that are all working to develop together to, to deliver a solution that's value add for your clients. And the more knowledge you can have about the, the assets of your company, rather than just I'm selling, the better. And so when you do that, you're probably going to make some mistakes because you're living in a world that you're not familiar with, whether it's engineering or product or whatever. So ask for feedback, demand it, and, and just say, how could I have done that better? I guarantee you it kind of works magic when you do that because people will see you as self-aware when you do that because they'll realize by symbolically what you're saying is I don't have all the answers. And when you don't take it as criticism by, by talking then behind their back, so-and-so said this, if when they see you take it proactively and do something with it constructively, it's, it's sort of a reassuring self-development journey and it will help in all types of relationships. So true. So true. I think that's phenomenal advice that transcends industry parameters as well. I think that applies to literally everyone in every role at every level. Um, if we can, so just to pivot specifically now, Kelly, to individuals that are really wanting to forge a successful career in the go-to-market space, what we've talked about you know demanding feedback but what else do you think individuals can do that are watching right now that will really help facilitate them securing that that successful career we'll, we'll talk about it i think again a little bit later but the, the one of the, the strongest correlations i've noticed in what i do between people who have successful careers in sales or really any of the functions um is getting a mentor uh get us get sponsor get a mentor and the reason it's just, and, and when I when I say get a mentor, I'm not referring to your dad or your uncle, your cousin, or like somebody that you know that's a good family friend. I'm talking about somebody that you aspire to be. If you aspire to be a CRO, get a CRO mentor of a company that you aspire to be at. Um, if, and by definition, if if you have a mentor, somebody that is in the role today, they're going to give you the best advice on the learnings of what it took. I mean, the audience listening to, to this is what we've talked about is a diverse next generation of diverse CROs in this industry or in all industries and find those. It doesn't have to be the CRO, find somebody that is two or three levels above you, but on the path that you're on, on the journey that you're on mm. and get them that, that correlation because they will have made a lot of the mistakes that you're going to make and you probably just made. They're going to be able to help you navigate and ask for feedback. Again, it, this feedback theme will keep coming up throughout this discussion. Go find those people. What I often hear when I ask who's your mentor, who's, who's your sponsor, I'll hear things that are kind of irrelevant, like somebody that ran a dry cleaning store or somebody, some completely irrelevant to what they're trying to do. I get they may be great people, and I'm not discounting that, and there's a place for it, but from a career development standpoint, just find the mentor. That's probably number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is, um, it, it, you know, the good news right now, I will, I will inject this, which is 
everybody listening to this is on the sales journey, but today there's so many other options other than sales. Two of my daughters started out as SDRs on the sales side and then found out sales wasn't for them and they shifted over to customer success. There's so many other functions today that are available, sales enablement, rev ops, customer success, sales, and every one of them has a different success profile of who is probably gonna be best fit for each of those kind of functional areas. So just because anybody listening to this starting out is starting out their career in sales and then it may not work out, there's lots of other options today. So I, I will say find, be authentic to you. Don't, don't stay in a function that's not fit for purpose. If you're not fit for a net new logo number and starting zero every day, every week, every month, every year, go find one of the other functions that you can still be a go-to-market leader. It's just a different type of go-to-market leader. So um, that would be something I would say is, is uh, keep an eye on. I love that you mentioned the different types of roles that are within sales. We harp on this a ton within GrowthQ in our community. We separate want to say separate, but we allow people to identify in our community with different types of sales roles because it's different muscles depending on how what sits with you. If you're the technical person, the specialist or the sales engineer might be right. If you love the numbers and love digging into the data and optimizing, RevOps to your point or sales um, optimization or, or operations or enablement might be great for you. If you love the hunt to go find that net new logo, a hunter sales role, getting in front, going and finding new logos might be for you. If you hate the hunt, but you love deep connected relationships and really understanding customer problems, farming might be for you. Um, but the key point to what you shared is just understanding what works for you and being authentic to you so you can form at your best independent role. hundred percent. You said it perfectly. It's uh, as we all know, there, there are different types of personalities, even on the sales side, there are, there are folks that are big deal people. They love the big deal. They talk about deals all the time. To me, that has to, <laughs> I was that person. <laughs> there is the big deal person. There's the process person that wants to build scalable. There's the dashboard person. There's lots of different types of, of leaders on the sales side. I mean, the reality is, in my, in my opinion, the person at the CRO level, again, when, when you're at that level, it's just a, it's yes, it's all part of the sales organization. But when you're at, when you're running, I'm not even going to say the CRO level, let's just say a region or a product, or you're expected to, um, have build a machine so that you're not going to be in that role for two, three, four years. That's about all you're going to be in that role. So you're the person that is running the whole organization. They want it to be seamless when you transition out. So build the machine. If you're just a big deal person, you're that's great for when the company is very small and you're trying to get off the ground. But as you get more mature and the, the expectations become more uh, predictable, you want to find a way to become more of a process person within the sales organization. Ooh, such good advice. Such good advice. Such good advice. Um, when I, I remember first meeting you, Kelly, and you, uh, we had we had a conversation. I thought it was going to be 20 minutes. We just kept going because we were just having a ball. And um, I remember reading through the conversation, your passion around wanting to get more people in the room 
in for that CRO role. And to hear about your commitment to that process and your work around that with, with McKinsey, for example, to really focus on how do we do that? I can tell your passion was high um, around helping folks get in that room. I would love to unpack that a bit to scale that expertise and get a little bit more detail on that path to CRO on how to actually get that job, interview tips, who you're supposed to know. Can, can you give us a little bit more outside of the onion that, that you can share with our listeners? Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing that up. I, I, uh, as you and I chatted and I, I love that first conversation that you and I had, I am a hundred percent on board with just adding more, just ethnic, uh, every type of diversity in at the Sierra level, at the ELT level, not just Sierra level, ELT level. Um, and it's, it's, it's just as much about neurodiversity as anything else. Just somebody that thinks differently than, than everybody else. Um, it, it come, by the way, it comes from a couple different things. One, I have six kids, three are daughters, and all three are in tech sales. So they're, they've never been more proud of their dad than when I've placed big female leaders uh, or big diverse leaders as president or CRO of big enterprise uh, tech company. So that, that was one. But I remember 20 years ago when I'd walk out of a conference room, and you and I chatted about this, Esther. Um, and I'd walk out of, of interviewing a male, white male executive, and then walk into a conference room interviewing a female executive, and it was just radically different. Um, the, the, the male executives would want to talk about who they knew and how they could compete for the role and, and use a lot of familiarity. I know so-and-so and I know so-and-so, where a female uh, leader at the time, and I'll fast forward it here, would want to tell a long wind-up story and storytell. And, and neither were right, uh, by the way. Fast forward today, how to tell the story and sort of the career tips. As a CRO, there's only two things that really matter. Number The very first things that matter, have you made your numbers? And are you somebody we want to work with? Like nothing else matters until you get through that first gate. And so if you haven't made your numbers because no CRO, no CEO is going to hire a CRO that hasn't made their numbers. That's just by definition. Um, and number two, then... That, and, and it's, I don't know if it's one or two or two and one, it's, it's, it's kind of a chicken and the egg, but you have to do it the how again, as we talked about earlier, you have to be that person that is the team uh, that's there, it's going to be inspired by. So being able to stand on stage, being able to motivate a diverse workforce today, um, it's a vastly different uh, skill set than it was 20 years ago. Um, being able to... Um, um, be analytical enough to know how to segment and resegment your customer base constantly, because as the market changes and new products come out, you're constantly having to resegment. How to compensate? How to create compensation programs? All of those are um, the the things to to keep in mind in today's sort of world as a CRO. But how you tell that story is is super important. Um, I tell everybody what happens is I'll, I'll spend 30 minutes with an executive and they'll spend probably 10 or 15 min minutes just answering the very first question of tell me about you. And they got it completely wrong. So anybody listening to this, anytime you're in an interview, well, three things. Number one, if you ever get introduced to somebody uh, in, in, in a retained search or in, in a uh, consulting kind of position, or you get interview introduced to the company, it's an interview. Just because it was set up, it's a friend introducing you to a friend. Don't ever be confused. It's an interview. I, I can't tell you how many times I get introduced to people. They get on the call and they're super casual and they they don't know their data. They don't know. I ask a few questions. What was your quota when you went in? 
What was the size of your business when you went in? And what did you scale it to when you left? And they weren't prepared for it. I mean, basic things. Just so always know your numbers, your data, because if you don't know it, no one on the other side of the table or door or phone is going to know it. So practice telling your story using nothing but data. It's really hard to do. Try. I encourage and I'm going to challenge everybody to do it because the more words you use telling me that you're really great or telling me that you killed something or telling me that you, you did, you blew out plan. Think about it for a minute. You told me nothing. But if you told me you stepped into a hundred million dollar business and you grew it to 200 million and the, the mandate was to grow it to 150 million, well, now you just told me a real, something really powerful. So the, the framework, I, I will share this real quick for the audience, the best framework, and this is a framework I give to every one of the, the senior executives that are running the biggest tech companies in the world, the same exact framework. When you tell a story, during an interview, there's four parts to it. And just write this down and remember this framework. This is a framework for how to tell a story. The first part of the framework is the context. So when somebody says, tell me about whatever, the very first thing you say is give them one or two pieces of context of what you inherited. So this was a declining business. It was a business that didn't have any leadership, whatever the relevant piece of context is. The second piece of the framework is what was the the mandate, what were you asked to do by when, by the person that hired you? So I was asked to take a hundred million dollar declining business and grow it to 200 million in the next 24 months. Great. The third piece is fast forward to the result that you achieved. What did you actually achieve? I, in, I got to 200 million in 18 months, not 24 months. And then the last part of the framework is one example of how, what was the most important contributing factor for you to achieve that that result you just told me you got. That should take no more than 90 seconds, two minutes taps. That's not a 10 minute conversation or a dialogue, excuse me. Because what you don't wanna do in an interview is, is talk at somebody for five or 10 minutes. Because if you're only gonna be with them for 30 or 45 or an hour, they're, they're gonna probably shut down. I mean, think of it, just turn the tables. Do you wanna be talked at for 10 minutes? Nobody does. Kelly, you need to package this, okay? trademark it, sell it, and cut Esther and I in on that. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Incredible. If this stuff works, I will tell you. I was just thinking back to all of those times that I've been in that spot, you know, and I'm sure Esther, you did the same. And I wish I had this formula. I wish I had this formula. That's, yeah, really insightful. Thank you for sharing. Um, so we've talked a lot, Kelly, about that kind of the early stages. Okay, the interview process. I mean, what advice would you give individuals that are already established but really want to propel their career forward and advance it to that next level? Um, do you have any, you know, what's your perspective in terms of best practice and lessons learned? Yeah, great question. So the, the number one mistake I see a lot of executives make at, at lots of different levels uh, is that they they tell me they can do something that they've never done. And while that might be, that seems logical, um, buyers don't, don't ask, uh, they don't typically want people, they don't want to hire somebody that's never done the job. I mean, I understand we're in a world that we've never seen. I understand all that, but there are certain things that um, buyers of talent, uh, i.e. the CEO typically, uh, they want to reduce risk. They want they want as much upside and they want as little downside. So just remember that constantly as 
the people listening to this are thinking about interviewing. So when you tell somebody here, we're going to come back to self-awareness. When you tell me I'm going to interview you for uh, a, a territory that has $100 million of quota signed to it, and the biggest quota you've ever done is $20 million, and you say to me, I can do that job, just put me in, I look at you like you're very unself-aware, just so you know. I look at you like, yes, I understand everybody I talk to will say I could do that job. But I want you to think like the buyer of talent is thinking. So when you say um, what you should say, here's the right answer of what you should say. I understand you're looking for someone that take that, that's had $100 million of revenue responsibility. I haven't done that. Just be upfront about it because it's the big elephant in the room and everybody knows it. Because all, if, they haven't, if you haven't told them you haven't done it yet, they're going to ask one question, have you done it? Then you're going to say no. And that just puts you on the defensive. So admit it. Just put the big elephant in the room. I haven't done 100 million, but here's what I have done. And then list the things that are relevant that you have done to reduce risk for that buyer. Oof. You are bringing up cringy times where I've been that unself-aware uh, sales leader thinking, yeah, I could go in and go do that BP job, no problem, and got rudely awakened <laughs> when, when I should have walked into your point and said, you know what, I know I've never done that, uh, but here's what I have done and here's where I can bring value in the interim or let's create a path together, right? Um, such Such great insights. Oh my gosh, we could go on forever. I have so many more questions for you, but I'm going to keep it to two. One that's really, really important for our listeners, and we talk about this often, is the area around mentorship and sponsorship. I know personally that this is important to you um, because you've talked about it. Um, there was a CNBC article, uh, Made It. I love CNBC Made It. Um, in 2019, where they quoted your work with the Harvard, Harvard Business Review, and you talked about you know, the importance of mentorship in all stages. Now, in this article, specifically talking about getting an offer and deciding between a counter offer, but you specifically mentioned, look, it's really important you get somebody outside of your own mind and head helping you sort through your thoughts here. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of mentorship and the importance of sponsorship and, and what's important for the CRO to make sure they have? Yeah. Um, and, and you and I have chatted about it. There's a difference between both and everybody listening, I think, understands the difference between both. Some uh, will be lucky enough to have one or both uh, of those in their career and others won't. I mean, it's not there is no uh, it is not a it's not a right that everybody gets. It's a privilege that you get and you get the privilege by having a mentor and a sponsor by earning it. It's not something that is bestowed on you or given to you unless they there is you have done your part so you have to do your part which is, your part is uh, there is nobody that a sponsor a mentor uh anybody outside of your family uh it, your association with that person speaks volumes so if somebody is going to in this case sponsor mentor you they are associating their brand with your brand think about that and if they're associating their, your brand, their brand that is taking a career to earn, they're not doing it lightly because they're only doing it for people that will make them look good or they, they um, uh, uh, th that will be a, a additive sort of um, reflection on them, I guess, if you will. So how do you get the mentor or the sponsor? You work your buns off. I mean, I really don't know how else to say it. Um, you, you, you have to earn the right and you have to put in the hours 
there, we all know there, there's so many days that we go home defeated and sad or angry or whatever the emo human natural human emotion is for a day during a week, a year, a quota, a, a quarter, whatever, but you have to maintain we're this audience is in sales or wants to be in go to market client facing roles. Yes, you can. It's totally natural and fair to feel all those emotions. But when you show up to work every day, you're positive and you're looking for solutions. And when you do that and you're delivering your numbers and you're showing up early and you're staying late and you're never complaining about the work that you're being asked to deliver and do, people will take notice of that. They want to help people that want to help themselves. That's kind of a natural human instinct that it, it just works that way. And I call it, it's my humanisms. This is one of those humanisms that just is, it transcends every, every generation, every, everything, which is if I see you wanting to help yourself, I'm going to be much more inclined to want to help you. And it may start out small in mentorship. Like, Hey, here's some suggestions you might want to do. It may become more formal, which is let's meet quarterly or yearly or whatever. Um, but these are, incredibly important relate in uh, valuable relationships. As I, as I said earlier, it's probably a one-to-one -one correlation, which is as strong a correlation as you can get between success and not success with the, the, the further you go up in the, in the organization, by the way, I I've written uh, uh, in, in part of your career journey for everybody listening to this is you're going to change jobs. So what we're talking about is how to get a job. But the opposite of it, that is you're going to probably have to change jobs, which means you're going to resign a lot during your career. So take a look at the articles that I've authored on how to resign the right way and how it comes up in this context of Spencer, sponsorship and mentorship. The, I guarantee anybody listening, they've never taken a class in college or high school or business school on how to resign the right way, how to interview the right way. They Nobody has ever been taught. It's just... Unfortunately, one of those things in our in our world where you figure it out and you hope you do do the best you can. But if you have a sponsor or a mentor, that is a perfect time before you resign. Say, I'm I'm going to resign. Here's my talk track. What do you think? Give me some feedback. When you're building your career on the interview side, I'm gonna go prepare for this company interview. I'm going to, I just got this job. All of those are perfect moments in your career journey to reach out to that sponsor. And guess what? As you continue to be more successful, they're going to want to help even more. So it's just, it's one of those, you help yourself and then they help you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Such timely context for folks. And look to you, to your point, um, showing up and connecting with those folks, doing the work is the first step. And there are great resources out there. Shameless plug. It's why Growth Cue is invented, right? Is you keep showing up and doing the work and jump onto a platform like Growth Cue and connect to someone who knows your journey and wants to get to where you're going. Take that, keep showing up and doing the work, and that person can then keep on showing up to help support you on that journey. So I love, I love that you shared that context. Okay, Kieran knows I love this last question, or right at the end of the interview, um, you know, Kira and I chatted about why we created Dear Future CRO, and it was for the previous Esther. Um, it was for 21-year-old Esther staring down this large $50 billion company before she'd made her first six figures, before she'd made her first seven figures, and was like, 
okay, how do I do this? And if you could, Kelly, if you're staring down that, whether it's a Karen or it's an Esther, or it's a Robert or whoever, um, if you could write that, call it love letter to that person looking at this role and wanting to get there, uh, what would you say? So if you can answer this, dear future CRO, how would you finish that sentence? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I, I, I love this question. So I, uh, I give you guys a lot of credit for ending it this way. Um, be kind to yourself, number one. Celebrate successes, small successes. They don't have to be big successes. We all have a really nice, most of us have something nice in our refrigerators, whether it's wine or champagne or fruit juice or whatever it is that you only eat or drink occasionally on the big occasions. Forget that. Celebrate the small ones. Like enjoy the journey that you're going through. It's not, it's just about the journey. It's not about the destination. We're all going to end up where we're supposed to end up. Not, not all of us are going to be CROs. Not all of us are going to be CEOs. Not all, but just enjoy what, whatever it is. So number one is enjoy the journey. Um, be, be, uh, demand feedback. Like I, I wish I would have told myself, like absolutely demand feedback from others because naturally when we're young, we're either shy, insecure, not confident, unsure, whatever we are. But what what the, the, the next generation understands is they all know, we all know that you don't know anything. So just ask for it. Like we're, you don't have to, you're, there's no imposter syndrome. It's okay. Like we're going to look at you by you being self-aware and asking for feedback. I wish I would have done that myself. I've told all my kids the same feedback. So when I saw your, your question, I was super excited about it. Um, help others. Like this is one where I guarantee you, uh, we haven't used the word differentiation uh, yet at all on this, but if you want to differentiate yourself from, the, from your peers, the people that you're competing for, for that next job, do, do this. It's very simple. Shine the spotlight on other people. The natural human instinct at this stage of, of career, where most people listening to this are, I want the attention, I want the accolades, I want the, the, the awards, I want the recognition, I want all of that. Find ways to shine that spotlight that you want on you, shine it on others. Making people look good, I guarantee you everyone will know who shined the spotlight. So indirectly, you get the spotlight, but you are, you, you are helping to build someone else's career because remember where you, everyone listening to this is, everyone is midpoint, earlier midpoint in their career journey. <clears throat> Everyone's going to rise and, and move about and change. It's a, it's a chessboard that just constantly is changing. You never know where the people that you are working with side by side today are going to be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Be super thoughtful, kind to them. Help them if they're struggling. Whether this is the job for them or not, just be that person because I guarantee you, it's kind of like it. This is this will make it very real to everybody. Everybody who graduated from high school and and had a reputation, whatever their reputation was by everybody at their high school. Now think of yourself 10, 5, 10, 20 years later. Guess what? Those people at high school remembered you from you at high school, not who you are today. It's the same concept of right now. Have people remember you the way you are right now by being kind and shining the spotlight on them, helping them achieve their dreams. Like, I know it sounds kind of hokey, but it will, everyone at the senior level will notice this and it matters. Um, and then I would, I would end with just being super thoughtful about your career. Um, I get 
right now it's easy to get seduced with money. I, I, I hear it from my kids all the time um, that someone's offered a purse or a, a car or a this or an extra $10,000 or $100,000 or whatever the number is. It, it, don't be seduced by that. Like be, this is where your mentor and your sponsor really comes into play because you, you want to be, there's so many, there, there's so many different ways to build a career, uh, especially towards the zero seat. It could be, do you, have you done public companies? Have you done private companies? Have you done small ASP deals and large ASP deals? Have you done certain segments or horizontal apps or vertical apps or input? Like there's so many different ways you can build it. The point is be thoughtful about why you're making a change and you're always running towards something. You're not running away from something. If anybody listening to this is thinking about changing jobs or whenever you are going to think about changing jobs, because all of us will make sure whatever, whenever you do change, don't run from something. You should be waking up every morning, want that job more than anything in the world that's running towards it. So the mentorship and the sponsorship again, will help you avoid doing it for the money because I guarantee you there's more money to be made in your career longer term. Don't, don't make a bad career decision for X, whatever X is. So that would be my advice. What phenomenal advice that is. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, there was so many really insightful nuggets of, of, of just pure brilliance, <laughs> to be honest with you, from career advice to starting out to really propelling that career forward, being intentional, being considerate. Just fantastic. Kelly, thank you so much. Karen, Esther, I'm so grateful to be invited. You guys have built a successful podcast and Growth Q is hugely successful. I'm just, I'm excited to be associated with both of you. How about that? Many thanks. We're so, so juiced and so honored that you took this time with us um, because we've got some great work to do for um, the future CROs that are out there. Uh, Kieran, I think you close us out. You want to take us home? Absolutely. So Kelly, on behalf of Esther and I, and of course, all of our viewers, thank you again for joining us today. To our viewers and listeners, thank you so much. We hope to see you next time. In the meantime, please like, share and subscribe. And finally, a huge thank you to my co-host, Esther. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you again, Kelly. Take care, Karen. Take care, Esther. Bye, everybody.